Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, welcome to episode 184 of the podcast for August 13th, 2013. This is Mark Graben. And it's great to have a returning guest, Dr. John Toussaint. He is, of course, CEO of the ThetaCare Center for Healthcare Value, as well as being the former CEO of the ThetaCare Health System in Wisconsin. He's the author of two Shingo Award-winning books, uh, On the Mend, and the second book, Potent Medicine. And you can find links to, to those books and past podcasts by going to leanblog.org slash 184. In this podcast, uh, we'll start off, I asked John for some of his thoughts about the top issues that healthcare CEOs are facing today, including changes in payment structures and accountable care organizations. And we're also talking about a program called Enduring Excellence that John and, and Paul O'Neill and the firm Value Capture uh, are leading along with the Theta Care Center uh, to teach healthcare senior leaders and CEOs about lean culture change, uh, improving patient and employee safety and their important role in making that happen. So uh, I think a great discussion. It's always good to have John as a guest and to hear his thoughts and I hope you enjoy listening to it. Um, for all past episodes, you can go to leanpodcast.org and um, have a great day. Well, John, thanks for coming back to be a guest on the podcast again. Nice to be here, Mark. So these are, uh, you know, these are challenging times in healthcare, and I know our listeners are aware of that. But we're we're going to be talking today about um, some perspectives that hospital CEOs are facing, and, and some of the things that that you and the Theta Care Center are doing to um, help move things along and drive improvement and, and help people in healthcare. Um, to start off, what what would you say are the top issues? that health system, hospital CEOs are spending their most, most of their time thinking about these days? Well, I think with the advent of the Affordable Care Act and the change in um, payment structures that Medicare and the Innovation Center are now experimenting with, uh, reimbursement is clearly you know, one of the top uh, things that uh, are on the top of the mind of CEOs. And, a lot of the CEOs are talking about it from the standpoint of, you know, how do we get to uh, value-based purchasing initiatives, either with the government or or with commercial insurers, and that's important because you know the total payment from Medicare is actually going down year over year due to the ACA, and with the sequester there was another significant cut uh, just in March, so they're facing a reduction in 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 reimbursement of. Uh, of a magnitude that they've never seen before. And so because of that, then the other things I think that they're really having to to consider and reconsider now is, okay, so what is the relationship with our physician groups and uh, how are we going to work with the physicians to actually gang tackle this issue of delivering better value? And then, you know, finally, how am I going to create a, a high, rel- high reliability organization focused on performance, improving quality, and reducing cost? Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what's the relative scale of the, uh, the reimbursement cuts that people are expecting? Well, it's about 2% per year uh, from Medicare. And, you know, in the past, they used to be able to make that up by raising their prices on the commercial uh, patients, but of course the commercial payers now are 
are coming together to say, well, if we're if Medicare is going to redesign payments, so are we, and uh, we're going to move to a payment system that isn't uh, you know increasing eight to ten percent a year to make up for your reduction in Medicare revenues. And so you've got overall declining reimbursement, and then talk talk a little bit more about some of the examples with value-based purchasing. I mean, it's changing some of the dynamics of what organizations are being either rewarded for or punished for. I mean, it's changing uh, what what leads to, maybe from the CEO's perspectives, the best um, reimbursement that they could attain under those different rules, right? Right. Well, I mean, we're, we're moving out of the fee-for-service world. So, you know, the more we do, the more we get paid, and we're moving into a world where the better we do from a patient outcomes perspective, the better we get paid. So one of the first steps in that is the shared savings model, which the uh, CMS ACOs, there are quite a few now uh, that have signed up for that program. And of course, ThetaCare participates in the, the initial ACO program, which was the Pioneer ACO program, and just reported uh, last week, actually, and it was uh, reported in the Wall Street Journal that uh, the ThetaCare Bell and ACO actually uh, reduced the total cost of care year over year by 4.6% for Medicare beneficiaries and will share on a significant uh, amount of savings related to that uh, significant improvement in, in total cost of care for the 20,000 Medicare beneficiaries that they care for. And, and unlike, I mean, uh, it's not a Washington reduction where it's a reduction in the growth rate. This is an actual actual lower spending per patient, an actual reduction, right? Yeah, the actual reduction was 6.2%, but overall in the U.S., uh, the uh, total um, uh, Medicare spend went down about 1.4% uh, or so. So, um, you know, this is, they're really looking at it from, you know, 4.6 below the, the actual average of the total cost of care per Medicare beneficiary across the United mm -hmm. States. So, I mean, if everybody could do 4.6% a year, now that doesn't mean that year over year they're going to get that much. But, I mean, we would pretty quickly eliminate the cost crisis in Medicare. Mm -hmm. and, and this really involves, I mean, this is not just providing the same care 4.6% more efficiently, but this is actually doing things to help keep patients from being admitted, right? Well, there are 26 quality performance indicators that you have to meet in order to be eligible for the shared savings. Uh, ThetaCare met all of those quality performance indicators, which one of which is readmission rates. Actually, they've dropped below 8%. Now, the problem, however, is that, you know, we're still getting paid on a fee-for-service or DRG system. So even though we get to share the savings of that 4.6% total reduction in cost, uh, the the readmission rates have dropped so so low that overall there's actually they're p being penalized from performance before um, because they you know they they don't have anybody in the hospital or at least the hospital hospitalizations have dropped dramatically. So is there anything that's coming down the road to help um, with with that situation where they're kind of being punished for? Um doing the right thing for the patients and for the overall health system? Is there something in, in a later phase of the Affordable Care Act that, that helps make up for that? Or are the hospitals just having to figure out how to deal with that problem? 
with that well, financial problem. Yeah, the, I mean, the, the the initial, you know, out of the gate um, experiment was with shared savings. But I've, you know, talked with uh, Rick Gilfillan, who just stepped down as the CMMI director, and now Patrick Conway, uh, who has taken over. Uh, both of those folks were very interested and are very interested in other models of payment. You know, personally, I think we need to move to some type of a prepayment system, uh, whether it's per member per month or capitation or subcapitation, uh, where we're actually paying organizations up front uh, as long as they meet the quality performance metrics for their populations. Um, because then, you know, when you remove waste, you reduce cost, you improve quality, the organization benefits versus, uh, you know, what we have now, which is basically a fee-for-service system with shared savings. Um, you know, you, you have to get an awful lot of savings to make up for the reduction in the volumes that are occurring with the, uh, with the efficiency initiatives. And uh, with, with some of the proposed, is, is it worsening the problem, some of the proposed delays in the insurance mandates, the, the employer mandate, if that gets pushed back, does that slow the, the potential patient growth from, from people who now have coverage who didn't before? I don't really think the insurance mandates have much impact on the, the, the payment systems right now. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, they could, obviously, if, if those uh, exchanges, uh, you know, garner a lot of, of, of patients. But right now, you know, all of this activity is going on both in the commercial Medicaid and and uh, fee-for-service Medicare environment, mm -hmm. um, I don't think the exchanges really are going to have a whole lot of impact on that. Okay. Well, and w one other question before we we talk a little bit about um, the endurance, the enduring excellence program. Um, when, when I've seen you know the releases and like you said, ThetaCare and Bell and Health, it sounds like performed quite well in the uh, the Pioneer ACO group. Um, uh, other organizations, you know, my uh, co-author's organization, um, from a co-author of Healthcare Kaizen, his organization, uh, Franciscan St. Francis uh, in Indiana, actually reduced year-on-year -year costs. But if, if I remember right, I mean, it wasn't even a majority of the pioneer ACO members that that achieved cost reduction, if, if I remember that right. I mean, what, what, do you have any thoughts or educated guesses on why some of the participants weren't able to reduce costs? Do you see any kind of correlations between the use of lean with those that have done better with ACOs, or is it hard to say? I, I think it's a little hard to say with just one year of, mm -hmm. of experience. You know, Atrius, for example, has done a lot of good work uh, in, in uh, with their lean initiative, and they, they actually did a little worse. But you know, when you're talking about one year and, and many, many tens of thousands of patients, it's it's pretty hard to, you know, a, apply a, a methodology and, and, and see results uh, that quickly. I, I think it's it's possible, and I think, you know, um, St. Francis and, and Theta Care and Bellin have, have proven that, mm -hmm. uh, and as, as have others, uh, but... But I, you know, I guess I'd like to run this thing out and and compare the organizations that are using lean versus those that aren't, and we're I think too early to determine that for sure. Um, but certainly there are some there, you know, there are some some good 
some good stories uh, coming out of the first year. Yeah. Well, and I, and I guess if we're following a PDSA mindset with this whole approach, uh, it's a good reminder one data point or even two data points are not a trend, right? Right. I mean, I, I really think we need to, to run this out the full three years yeah. to, to really understand um, performance because then that gives the organizations the time to really put the new processes in place uh, using lean thinking and then measure the results. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's talk about the Enduring Excellence program. Um, if you can, for the listeners, give an overview of the program, who you're working with, and uh, the, who the target audience is uh, for these sessions you're doing. Well, a few years ago, Mark, I got to uh, uh, meet Paul O'Neill, and he actually has become a uh, a, a great friend and uh, and, a, and a and a mentor to me on the on the journey of of, of understanding how to build a you know uh, a high reliability organization at Alcoa. He was uh, you know he created the safest company in the world using lean principles and uh, and he tried to apply some of that knowledge to the uh, federal government. Uh, he he did uh, uh, change the treasuries. Um, out, output from uh, closing the books in three months to uh, to five days, but um, you know I think that uh, uh, that 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 was a that was a big animal he tackled. Um, but Paul has a lot of great experience uh, as a leader, uh, both in the private world and the public sector, and uh, so we decided um, a couple years ago that it would be great for him and I to team up. And create a program really aimed at at C, CEOs mm -hmm. and uh, a handful of their team members uh, to really focus in on on you know what are the core components of building a, a high reliable organization. And so what we what we've done is we put together three modules. They're each two days. Uh, the first module we start out in Pittsburgh and and you go to uh, Paul's office and then go to the Gimba or go to where values created at the um, Alcoa office and see their real-time employee safety reporting systems and, and other systems that uh, Paul was very, uh, 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 you know, sort of his brainchild. So after you've spent a couple days with Paul, then uh, you go home and you think about how you could apply some of those principles to your own organization. And then uh, you come here to visit me at ThetaCare, and we uh, do a two-day site visit in which we go out to the floors and, and actually uh, spend a lot of time at the Gimba, very little time in the conference room, a lot of time where the work's being done by the nurses and the doctors. Following that, uh, we wait another three months, and the value capture team, Paul's team, comes to actually evaluate the CEO's hospital, so they actually take the CEO on a what we call a waste walk, where we actually are going to go see uh, how how that that particular CEO's organization is functioning, and then the uh, final module is uh, back in Pittsburgh, and Paul and I together work as a kind of a tag team to help the CEOs to build their transformational plans uh, for uh, creating a high reliability organization. Uh, we've had several, um, uh, quite a few CEOs now go through this and. And uh, they, uh, to a one, basically said this really changed their their entire approach to um, to, to leading their organization. Mm -hmm. 
And and these sessions are starting in, or at least the next group of these is, is starting in October. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And we'll, we'll have links. Um, you know, people can go to createvalue.org or I'll, I'll put um, links on the, uh, the web page of this episode. Um, if people want to learn more. And it's just one other question. We say the CEO um, participating, uh, did, does the CEO come alone? Or are they bringing some of their other key senior staff members or CMO or somebody with them? Or Yeah, we encourage them to bring uh, two or three of their, of their uh, other leaders uh, with them because um, our feedback has been that if, if you just come alone, then it's hard to explain mm -hmm. what happened. But if you bring... Yeah you know, two or three of your key top leaders, then you together can actually work as a team to to, to build out this transformational plan for your organization. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to a little bit more about, you know, going to Alcoa for people who might not be familiar with the uh, the story there. You know, Paul O'Neill was, uh, of, of course, a, a speaker at the Lean Healthcare Transformation Summit this year. And I, I talked to a lot of people who, didn't know of Paul and his story and, and how, uh, how much of an impression he made talking about um, the focus on uh, in, improving employee safety at Alcoa and, and kind of the pass through benefits. Uh, you know, I think the um, try, habitually excellent, I think, was the term Paul used. Can what, talk a little bit more about you know, that connection from you know, focusing in that one area to you know, some of the overall business success? That, that Paul saw. Well, I think that when you when you listen to Paul, you very quickly realize that Paul has a set of values which are really quite remarkable. And you know, when we think about lean, we think about you know always uh, the you know the two pillars of continuous improvement and respect for people. And Paul really applied that that pillar of respect for people at Alcoa with his employee safety initiative. And, and, and basically what he uh, determined was that the ultimate disrespect for his staff, his staff members, was to be injured at work mm -hmm. or killed at work. And actually he tells some stories about how, you know, some of his employees actually died uh, on the job. And, uh, and so as we think about you know, respect for, for the people that deliver value in our company, whether it's healthcare or aluminum making or whatever, uh, I think that's a, that is a very important principle to keep in mind. And so because his, you know, this concept of respect for people was so deeply embedded as one of his values, the absolute number one priority for that company under his leadership was to make it the safest company in the world, which he did. And actually, to this day, Alcoa is always one of the top uh, companies in the world from a safety perspective. You know, I remember you know, Paul talked about, I think, the one core idea that really connected with people is that if, if, if you have the focus and the management system in place to do really well on employee safety, you're going to tend to do well on all the other things that matter as well beyond, you know, that, that kind of ethical and moral obligation. So did, did, did any of the earlier Enduring Excellence participants, are, are they modeling what Alcoa was doing in, in terms of publishing data on a real-time basis for employee safety? Are they also looking at patient safety that way? Or what, what, what are you seeing people do? Well, I think many of them uh, came in with very little uh, focus on 
employee safety and, and that when they, a, a, after these three modules, because, you know, they come to ThetaCare, ThetaCare is deeply focused on employee safety as well, they walk away realizing that uh, they need to change. And, and most of them have, have um, you know, really cre- uh, built deep commitment to employee safety. Now, do they have the same you know, uh, real-time employee safety mechanisms that Alcoa has built. I don't know of anybody that has anything that robust yet, mm-hmm. but uh, there certainly uh, is a lot of movement in the direction of at least understanding real-time, you know, uh, those injuries and, and then, you know, actually doing PDSA on every one of them every time they occur. And I have seen that in several organizations mm-hmm. now that have been through this program. Yeah. And uh, I also want to mention, too, if people want to hear, I, it was almost exactly two years ago, I had a chance to interview Paul O'Neill. That's uh, episode 124. If people want to go to leanblog.org slash 124 um, to, to listen to Paul. So um, but t- talk about other aspects of the program and what people learn from from Paul and from yourself and and the others uh, leading this. Um from the CEO perspective, I mean, what what are some things? What are some of the improvements or some of the uh, focus that only the top leaders in a healthcare organization can uh, can create or make happen beyond, um, let's say, you know, employee safety? Well, I think it what what the program does is really help the leaders understand that there are a few core components of standard work for CEOs that that they may. Or may not be doing, uh, and 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 it's understanding that gap. So, so for example, instead of having 35 to 50 strategic initiatives, they've got to get it down to three or four, mm-hmm. and that's you know part of the whole strategy deployment concept that we teach in the in the program is how to do that. Uh, the same thing with True North metrics. Uh, you know, many organizations have lots of metrics, but you actually have the ones that matter to your customers, and are there just a few of them? And does every person in the organization, every staff physician, understand what those are? Uh, so that's another thing that we spend a lot of time on is, is sort of developing that focus. Obviously, the cultural aspects of uh, transforming your company, whether you know it's Paul O'Neill's point about you know his his way to address respect for people, um, you know, or or the work that that we've done on. On daily continuous improvement and and problem solving, uh, you know. So so I think you know we also encourage and and train A3 thinking throughout this uh, throughout these sessions so that so that leaders are actually walking away with sort of a set of of key uh, principles and uh, at least have some chance to practice. Uh, these things before they um, before they go back uh, to transform their organizations. Mm-hmm. And when, when they when they go back to spearhead some of that transformation, I mean, if, if you were in in their shoes as you know a current hospital CEO, I mean, what what are some of those first things you would expect to do or see happen? You know, in that first year after learning what you learn in this program. Well, I, I think. I think the the important thing is to to identify, you know, the crisis or the platform that you're going to lead the organization by. So 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 what is that? Is it around employee safety? Is it around patient safety? Is it around defect reduction, problem solving? 
I think, you know, we help those leaders sort of identify where they need to start from a communication perspective with, you know, everybody in the organization. And then help also to identify sort of the gaps and where they're performing today and where they need to perform, um, which then allows them to build a plan of countermeasures that starts to start to address those gaps. So, you know, we don't expect that you're going to transform your organization in a year. Right. What we do expect is that you have an understanding of where you're headed, that you've communicated that effectively with every single uh, employee and that you understand, uh, you know, what, where your gaps are and where you're going to attack first. Yeah. Cause I mean, it seems like there's no shortage of crisis, um, between, like I said, cost, quality, reliability, safety on, on these fronts. I mean, I guess there's, there's, it comes back to that discipline you talked about, about not having 42 top priorities, but focusing on, on, uh, the critical few. Yeah, and I think it's really important to, 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 you know, capture not only the minds of of the of your staff and physicians, but also the hearts, and that's why this communication and you know what is your plan and what are you trying to accomplish is so important uh, as you as you go go down this path, and that's what we try to get. Um, you know, that's what we talk a lot about in this program is 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 how you might how you might do that. And so, uh, one other kind of final question before we wrap up. Um, so, if you uh, if you look at what CEOs are kind of traditionally taught to do, whether that's just what they learn coming up the uh, coming up the ranks, what what they're maybe taught in school, whether it's medical school or business school or both. I mean, what what do you see as the gap between kind of you know the, those old mindsets or old behaviors versus the new things CEOs need to be able to do, you know, for their organizations to succeed and, and, you know, a, a value based reimbursement structure, some of the things that are coming. Well, you know, I think the most important thing is to get out of your office and go see what's really happening. Um, if you think you can design this from uh, the mission control room and push the red buttons, um, you will fail. And I think that's, you know, that's the typical old, Sloan management style is, you know, we'll just set up the objectives and push the red buttons and everybody will do what we tell them to do. Um, those days are over. And, you know, the, the, the CEO of the, of the new future here is mentor, facilitator, teacher, and coach. And the key role is to remove barriers so that our frontline workers can deliver better value to our customers because I can guarantee you, I've been in, I was in the CEO office, still am in the CEO office, and there ain't no value being created in this office today. <laughs> so, um, you know, until leaders recognize their role uh, to be different than, you know, what it traditionally has been, uh, we will not see change. And I think that there are going to be a lot of organizations that struggle and may not make it through this because of that. And so, I mean, what, what does that mean when you say struggle and not make it through that they get acquired? I mean, there's so much consolidation going on in healthcare. Is that what you mean? Or is there a threat you know, that the well, organization think, might not survive at all? I, I mean, I think if you're looking at a, uh, especially in healthcare where the margins are very slim, if you're looking at a 2% reduction in revenue year over year for the next nine years, 
and if you don't have a different way of managing than you're managing today, you could be out of business. Um, so, so that's one of the reasons why CEOs are interested in enduring excellence. They're also interested in our site visits here at ThetaCare and Christie Clinic and St. Boniface and Winnipeg, um, Manitoba, because they're looking for, for sort of that magic sauce. Now, unfortunately, there isn't a magic sauce, <laughs> right. but there is an operating system. It's called Lean, which allows you to deliver higher quality, lower cost care year over year. And we have lots of evidence of that now, including what was just published last week on ThetaCare and Bellin. So we know that it's possible to, to actually successfully implement the Toyota production system in healthcare. The question is, does, do these leaders have the wherewithal to actually do that and to, in some cases, potentially even save their organizations? You know, I've been at this for 30 years, Mark, and I've never, uh, and I've tried everything that you want to think of in terms of operating systems and quality circles and blah, 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 and everything else. And the only thing in all those years that has been consistently able to produce results is lean. Mm -hmm. um, but the issue is that you have to change as a, as a leader, and uh, you, you do have to move into being a facilitator, coach, mentor, barrier removal agent uh, for your people rather than an autocratic control freak. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference here uh, that, that we're talking about in, in terms of successfully implementing this operating system. It's doable. It can be done. It's incredibly powerful and successful, but it requires leaders to change. Well, and I mean, I'm, I'm sure from the... The, the, the examples of, of your experience and, and what Dean Gruner's continuing to do at Theta Care and from the others in, in the Enduring Excellence program, hopefully, there, there, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of examples to help people see what's possible and help CEOs see what their, what their roles need to be, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what we exist for today. That's, that's why I do what I do. We're trying to help uh, these leaders make those changes. We, we actually have very good examples of leaders in the healthcare industry that are making these changes, and uh, we in, we can you know help to introduce people to those folks, and uh, again uh, go see, talk to Paul Rick Shannon uh, at the University of Pennsylvania is also part of our program, and he's a, he's a terrific leader, clinical leader. So we have some clinical leaders involved that that uh, can can talk about these changes and what it means personally. So yeah, I mean I I, I think there's a lot of resources now um, that are available to leaders to learn this stuff. And, uh, and that's frankly why the Center for Healthcare Value exists. It's the only reason, really, is to help uh, leaders in the, in the industry make these changes so that they are highly successful. Well, it's, it's important work. I'm, I'm glad that, that you and, and the team at, at the center and uh, folks at Valley Capture are doing this. It's always great. Um, we get a chance to collaborate with you and, and certainly great to uh, be able to chat and uh, have you share what you're doing here on the podcast. So thanks so much for um, sharing that with us today. Thanks, Mark. Thanks all the, for all the good work you do. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.